Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul has come to the city of Corinth where he is joined by the rest of his team. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 18, verse 5. Once again, that's Acts chapter 18, verse 5. In regards to the church of Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, you can jot this down to read on your own time. But he says, now when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and love, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, he says, we were comforted in all our affliction and distress. So Paul gets news that things are going well. The church in Thessalonica is thriving. The church in Berea is thriving. They miss you. They want to see you more. They want to learn more. And they're telling people about Jesus. And then that was like the boost that Paul needed. But there was one other thing that really helped Paul a lot. They also brought financial gifts from those churches so that Paul no longer had to work as much to supply his needs. Writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, he references what a lift this was to him. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, he says, And when I was present with you, the church at Corinth, and was lacking, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome to you. In other words, he didn't take a salary from them because he, he, he just didn't want them to think he was after the money. But then when this, his team came, they brought this offering from all the Macedonian churches, the ones a little bit more of the north. It gave him renewed time to devote to studying the word and to preaching it. And it mentions here that Paul, in light of the situation, it says that when they came, he was pressed in the spirit. Now, that's a bad translation. If you have a different Bible other than the King James, it might say something like constrained by the word or pressed by the word. Paul was always willing to serve a congregation while working his trade, but it did keep him from doing his best at ministering in the word. That's why in Acts chapter 6, the apostles raised up deacons. Remember, they had the situation where the widows were complaining about the food distribution. And so the apostles said, it's not right for us to leave the word of God in prayer to serve tables. They said, we need to raise up some other people who can be responsible for this so we can focus on the task that's at hand. They didn't feel like it was the best use of their time to leave the studying and preaching and praying through God's word to do this. And so they raised up other people. 
The primary job of a pastor is to teach the Word of God, whether it's through counseling or one-on-one discipleship or small group discipleship or pulpit ministry. He will be at his best if he's able to have the time to really devote to seeking God's face and hearing his voice, studying the Word, and accurately giving it to the congregation. Now, Peter, of course, counterbalances this truth by saying that the pastor should never be in it for greedy gain, right? First Peter chapter five, verse two, he, he says to those elders that are among you, you don't, you're not in this for filthy lucre. I, that's why I like the King James. Where else will you hear words like filthy lucre? You know, you know, I, you know, I don't, you know, talk to my sons about, you know, saving money and saying, be careful, beware of the, you know, the danger of filthy lucre. You know, is that a new video game? You know, it's a new boss. If you feel the Lord has called you to a teaching ministry, never look down on working with your hands. Never. Paul did it often. But I will say this. I've, I've been a pastor now for almost 19 years. And of those 19 years, eight of those years have been spent as a full-time pastor. And, you know, 11 of those years were spent being bivocational. And it's a huge blessing to be free to give all of your work energy to ministering God's word to his people. It's a huge blessing. And that's why the Bible says, you know, if you know, if there's those that labor in the word, they're worthy of double honor. It says, you know, to support those who labor in the word among you. There are those who refuse to give to the church because of failed ministers who took advantage of Christians who were a greedy gain. They were after money. But you know, that doesn't negate the truth. Paul, when talking to the Corinthians and mentioning to them about giving, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 11 through 14, he says to them, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? In other words, you know, you you pay for services at other places. He's like, you know, if we're, we're serving you, shouldn't we be supported when we do it? Nevertheless, he says, we have not used this power, but we suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. He's saying that when you were a priest, you would serve at the altar and you would get a a part of the offering so you could have dinner. Even so as the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And if it's at all possible, that's the way it should be. And and I only say that because, you know, and I hate talking about this topic. How many times have you tried to share the gospel with somebody and they say, oh, those churches are just after money, right? I hate talking about this topic because I never want that to be any way I would be thought. But The Bible commands us to give faithfully, to support the church where you are saying, that's my home church. This isn't your home church yet. I'm not talking to you. But if this is your home church, you should support it financially. You should give faithfully. What should I give? Whatever you can give with a cheerful heart. Whatever the Lord puts in your heart, you do it obediently and you do it faithfully unto him. Well, Paul's extra time in the word now and this greater availability to preach, it stirred him to really press home his argument that Jesus is the Messiah, calling them to respond. But as in other cities, this did not go so well. Verse six, back in Acts 18. And when they opposed themselves, that's kind of a weird phrase. Uh, You know, uh, Paul used that phrase when he spoke to Timothy about being patient and ministering to those who oppose themselves. The word there means to organize a resistance. You ever done that with God? You organize your own little resistance, you know? The Lord's tugging on your heart, and you're like, I'm not doing that, God. You know, if I do that, God, you know what's going to happen? And you, you organize a resistance in your heart. 
They were organizing a resistance against Paul here, and it says they blasphemed. Now, they weren't blaspheming God, but when this word is used towards men, it means to insult or slander. They started to say negative things about Paul, trying to discredit his ministry, trying to discredit his message. And just like all the other cities before Athens, the same thing goes here. They begin to oppose him. And at this point, though, Paul has had it. He's done. And so it says that he shook his raiment. It means he took his coat and he shook it out. The idea is if something's sitting there, that, that you shake it, it would just fall out and spill on the ground. And so he shook out his garment and he said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From this point, I'm going to the Gentiles. I get it. <laughs> I've been there, you know. You know, if you have kids, you've been there. I'm done. You know, <laughs> if you know, if you, if you had work environments, you know, you, you've been there. I'm done. You know, I'm done. I'm done dealing with you people, you know. And Paul, he's just, he's afraid. We'll see that in a moment. He's frustrated. You know, Nehemiah, this phrase to shake out your, your raiment. Nehemiah did this when he found out his own people were extorting each other. They were extorting from one another. And, and he confronted them about it and they were convicted. They said, we'll stop doing this. And Nehemiah's like, you better. And he shook out his garment and he said, God do, this is Nehemiah 5.13, by the way. God do the same to any of you who go back on your word today. Yeah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was hardcore. He would take people, drag them by their hair out of the temple when they weren't like doing what they're supposed to do. We're gonna start teaching our ushers how to. It's a very visible sign of frustration. One these Jews would recognize. They would know right away, whoa, He's saying he's just given us over to God's judgment, basically. Paul, he says that, I'm clean. He says, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. The, the phrase there means to be ritually pure. And in this case, he's saying, I'm, I'm pure from your guilt. I'm pure from the guilt that you've rejected your own Messiah. It's like saying, this is all on you. I've done my job. I'm finished. Now, while that's technically true, <laughs> Is this probably the best way to approach reaching the lost like a job? Sometimes we do. And that's not the best way to approach it. But like I said, Paul's afraid. I mean, think about it. He's been beaten. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been chased all over Southeastern Europe, all by the very people that he intensely loved and just wanted to see come to Christ more than anybody else. Paul in Romans will say, I would wish myself accursed if it meant that all Israel would be saved. I don't know if I love people that much. That's heavy. I'll go to hell so that it means you all would be saved. You know, I wonder if his team kind of looked at each other with wide eyes as he storms out of the synagogue. You know, maybe Timothy even whispered, do you think he's serious? I mean, I just got circumcised, bro. <laughs> and he's quitting on our people. <laughs> Can I get a refund? But even in the midst of this, the Lord is working. For it says he departed from there. He left the synagogue and he entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God. And remember, that's a phrase. That means he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile, but a God-fearing Gentile who loves the Lord. And so he stays with this guy, Justice, and he leaves Aquila and Priscilla's home and he takes up residence with a non-Jew who lived right next to the synagogue. <laughs> he seemed to come out every day. I wonder, you know, I don't know how Paul was like, but I know what I'd be like. I'd be out there like with a pork shank and be like, hey guys. Maybe not. But Paul was drawing a clear line. He's saying, you're either with Jesus or you're against him, pick your side. And some did. 
Look at here, verse 8, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now, Crispus was the synagogue leader. I mean, this is one of the most important and influential people in that community. And, and him and his family, they put their faith in Jesus. And, and we know they're excommunicated just afterwards because we see he's not the synagogue leader. And we're not going to get to the verses today, but we'll eventually get to it where we see another guy, Sosthenes, is now the synagogue leader. So they're excommunicated for doing this. And this is one of the few people that Paul personally baptized in Corinth. He makes mention and says, I only baptized you know, these three guys and their families. Uh, but Timothy and Silas did the rest of the baptisms and whatnot. But as a small little revival starts on this very day that he walks out. Now, <clears throat> there's a temptation to say, well, I guess maybe what Paul did worked. You know, what's, what's wrong with Paul drawing a line in the sand? Don't people need to realize a choice must be made? That's true. But God's the one who draws those lines, not us. He's the one who draws those lines. And God's not even close to finishing the prep work in Corinth. And so in verse nine, it says, then spoke the Lord to Paul in the night vision. And he said, be not afraid, but speak. Hold not your peace, for I am with you. And no man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. Isn't that awesome? Paul isn't just thinking about quitting on the Jews. He's thinking about leaving He's probably thinking, I don't feel like being stoned again. I really don't feel like being beaten again. I'll just move on. And the Lord comes. Now, in a twisted sense, Paul's reaction kind of encourages me. It kind of encourages me because I've blown it so many times due to fear or worry or just being in the flesh. And to know that God still works in spite of me is a great encouragement to get those areas fixed and to get back to work. And the Lord's gracious words to Paul in the night Remind us that God is in the business of cleaning up our messes, that he loves to use broken vessels, loves to use broken vessels. And so he comes to Paul and he says to him, be not afraid. Literally, it means stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Now, in our language, that sounds a bit harsh, but what it means is it's gonna be okay, Paul. You don't have to be afraid. Stop being afraid. Do you know the Lord says, fear not 63 times in the Bible? 63 times he has to come to his people and say, fear not. 26 times he says, stop being afraid. You think we have a problem with fear or wanting to quit? <laughs> fear is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Experiencing the emotions of fear or wanting to quit doesn't mean you're odd. It doesn't mean you're not cut out for the task that God set in front of you. He means you're just like the rest of us just like the rest of us. You know, in James chapter five, why don't we turn there real quick? James chapter five, verse 17. What's the name of the gentleman that's listed here? Who is it? Elijah. Elijah, man. I know Elijah. He's the guy that called down fire from heaven. I, I've never called down fire from heaven. I hope any of you haven't. <laughs> Elijah, I mean, he's like the guy. I mean, he's the guy they still leave a seat for him, right? You know, an empty seat for Elijah, just in case he returns. He's the one that's gonna precede the coming of the Lord, right? Elijah. James five seventeen. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Elijah is just like me, just like you, subject to the same emotional distress that we might go through? Yeah. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. This guy who caused the very sky to shut for three and a half years and made it open again. He's just like me, just like you. Yeah. Turn over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. This is right after Elijah has called fire down from heaven and all the prophets of Baal have been executed. And Ahab told Jezebel, verse 1, all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You got 24 hours to live, buddy. What is the great man of God who doesn't suffer emotional distress like us peons do? And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. Dude ran a long way. Beersheba. That's the southernmost city before you get to the desert in Israel. Which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. Why? And he said, I'm done. It's enough. I will now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. What he's saying is this. He goes and he sits down under the tree and he's like, I'm done, God. Just kill me. I'm not cut out for this. Elijah, the guy who saw columns of fire come from the sky. And he's sitting there under that tree going, God, just kill me. I'm not cut out for this task. I'm no better than my forefathers. What on earth was I thinking? And you know the rest of the story. The Lord's not done with Elijah. The Lord's not done with you. Stop being afraid. God has work for you to do. Good work for you to do. So the Lord says, stop being afraid. But speak that's imperative in the Greek, which means it's a command. You must speak, Paul. Paul may have been done with the Jews, but God wasn't. I'm not done. You must speak and hold not your peace. Why? Verse 10, for I am with thee. <laughs> you know, in my own moments of discouragement and fear, the most comforting thing to know is that the Lord is with me. It's not so comforting to even see some mighty thing that God does but just to know the Lord is with me. You know, Elijah, when he went to the Mount Sinai, he kept running even after that moment. The Lord appeared to him, it says, in a whirlwind and lightnings and fire smote the mountain, but the Lord wasn't in any of that. And then he spoke in that still small voice. And that's where the Lord was, right by his side. I'll do anything if I know that, that the Lord's still with me. You haven't, you haven't left me behind yet, Lord? I'd have left me behind like Elijah left that servant. You haven't left me behind, Lord? No, I'm still here. That he's right at my side despite the failures, despite the slander, despite the pain. 
You know, when Jesus sent his disciples out with the Great Commission, he capped it with those words. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. His companionship, his stand by our side is the greatest encouragement to move forward and to not quit. So he tells him, I'm with you. And also, Paul, you need to know this. No man shall set on you to hurt you. You don't have to be afraid. Stop being afraid. No one's gonna hurt you for I have much people in this city. No one's gonna attack you. God gives his promise here that Paul will be supernaturally protected from physical harm, unlike all the previous cities he's been to. Now, why would God do that here? He says, well, I got a lot of people who are gonna listen to what you have to say. You know, God in his eternal nature knows who will be saved. And he unveils a little bit of that to Paul. He says, there's a lot of folks here in the city that if you just hold on, Paul, if you, if you don't quit, if you just keep on being faithful, there's a lot of people here that are gonna give their life to me. Let me ask you, what things might God be planning to do through you if you'll just hold on and keep working? Don't ever quit because it looks like the same old problems again. I mean, that's what got Paul frustrated. I'm not doing this again. I'm not getting stoned again. I'm not getting beaten again. Don't ever quit. Paul didn't. Look at verse 11. And so he continued there, how long? A year and a half? Paul could barely spend two or three weeks in these other cities. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul gets to spend a year and a half in this place that he came in with so much discouragement, with much fear and trembling. He gets to spend a year and a half discipling believers, leading people to Christ and building a strong church. In that time, not only does Crispus get saved, but reading through the letters to the Corinthians, so many other Jewish leaders got saved too. Sospater, the guy who takes over for Crispus and kicks him out, he gets saved later on. So many other Jewish leaders there get saved too. And the church at Corinth grew to be strong. So much so that Paul's testimony later on about the church's condition when he was there is this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, we tend to rag on 1 Corinthians because it was a, a church at that they were out of order. They were chaotic. They had immorality and all this. But this is Paul's testimony about this church when he was there. It only got that way later on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge. These guys knew the word. These guys, man, they had some awesome speakers there. They, they had guys who were anointed to preach God's word, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that what? You've come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here was a church that literally was lacking no gift. You walked into this church and every area of this church was strong. Every area of this church had gifted, talented people who loved Jesus with all their heart and were serving him. When you walked into Corinth, you walked in and said, this is how church is supposed to be. And all of that, because you hung in there and didn't quit. Well, Warren Wiersbe said, when God opens doors, the enemy tries to close them. And there are times when we close the doors in ourselves because we get discouraged and quit. 
1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, Paul says to the same church, and I wonder if he was thinking of his own experience with them. He says, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Having adversaries does not mean it's not an open door. It just means you need to trust God and keep on keeping on. Think of all that Paul would have missed out on if he'd left town or ignored the Jewish population in that town. Don't quit. Even if it seems like you've had the same results time after time after time of trying to do what God has told you to do. Because who's to say when your Corinth will come? Who's to say? Keep walking. Because you know, there's someone else who didn't quit. And he was our Lord Jesus Christ. As he sat there in the garden, weeping great drops of blood, facing the cross the next day, he said to the Father, he said, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass. And yet, not my will, but your will be done. And what was the Father's will? For I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. He was thinking about us. God's love for us, his love for us. He didn't quit on us, but he went to that cruel cross and he paid the price for our sin. I think that's worthy of our undying commitment to him as well. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.